Awesome. Am I coming through? Awesome. Well, I tell you, what an awesome service this morning already. I almost feel like we don't even need to preach, to be honest. I think you guys nailed it, eh, with the worship this morning, and, and it's, it's, it's actually what I'm talking about today. It's a topic I'm not actually that strong on, but, you know, so... I don't want you to take the message the wrong way, but it's, it's, I felt like God was saying we're on the right path, but let's understand praise and worship and thanksgiving at a deeper level. Let's up our game. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a having a go to anyone, it's including myself. It's something that I, I need to build my strength in. But, you know, that's, it's been a real crazy week. I'm sure everyone's felt it. There's a real spirit behind it, especially what happened. I mean, I know a lot of people are definitely not happy with how the New Zealand police acted. It's disgusting. But the word, I've, out of all the craziness this week, I've had it from, from what happened down there, I've had it from work, I've had it from everywhere. It's probably the worst week of my life, trying to prepare a message at the same time. <laughs> but I've never heard God talk to me so much in my life. There's so many things, he's, he's been, so many things have been coming at me. He's either telling me through his word, through another person, or through a circumstance. And the main one I feel like God is wanting to say, before I get into the message, is the Bible says guard our hearts. We can't let it fill with hatred towards the police or even the government because they win. You can't, you can't defeat hatred with hatred. It's got to be defeated with love. So if you, I had to forgive them. I can't let unforgiveness in my heart. It's not the Christian way. That's not what Jesus would do. We don't win, we lose. So right now I want everybody to just forgive them. Forgive the government. You've got to forgive your enemies. It is, the, it is the centerpiece of Jesus, isn't it? We're no better than them if we can't do that. The next thing God was saying, be thankful. I didn't realize that I wasn't thankful for my job because I'm lucky. It's a miracle I've even got a job right now because my company wanted to mandate. But God put one man in there who is fighting for me, and I never asked him to. He is every day fighting for me, holding them off. I didn't realize that till this week. And you know, I felt horrible the entire week, but until I got rid of that unforgiveness, until I got thankful about my circumstance, about everything, I am thankful for this church, I'm thankful for you guys, I'm thankful for my pastors, I came under God's grace again, because I was asking for his grace. When his grace abounds towards us. But if we're going to live in unforgiveness or unthankfulness, you take yourself out of that. It's horrible. Oh man, God's just saying so much. During the praise and worship, God showed me a dam of cracks appearing and water going through. And I heard these words, it's about to burst. It's about to burst. And it ain't the preaching that's going to do it, it's the praise and worship. God also revealed another word to me this week, was remnant. Remnant. He's talking about the church. Unfortunately, a few churches, quite a lot of them sold out. But churches like this are his remnant. Watch what he does with it. Just because we're a small number, but our praise and worship, we're making cracks in that dam. It's about to burst. I can feel it. There's definitely, Richard was right, there's a special anointing here right now. Wasn't sure what to do with it, but uh, 
Again, another word came this morning, and this time it was through Amy, and I'm going to get her to read the scripture out there God gave her this morning. So I can get her to come up, Amy, and read it out. Yeah. Now's the time to start asking God what he's saying, because he's talking right now. Come up here, Amy. Sorry. Yeah. So it's 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honour on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Yeah, that's our conduct, eh? We've got to keep it together, guys. Yeah. yeah. Trust me, it's, it was one of the hardest weeks of my life. And yeah, like this morning was just awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's... it's and the only reason it's intensified is because they know subconsciously their days are numbered. Amen. Seriously. They might not know it, but subconsciously they do. That's why there's people manifesting all over the place. There's so much hatred out there, but we've got to be the bigger people. Oh, so, I'll get into my message. <laughs> entering into God's presence, or another way of saying it is entering into God's heart. Uh, like I mentioned before, you know, Praise and worship are important, and it's more important than we know. I personally didn't really have a revelation of this or realize how much it actually means to God or how deep we can actually go, how deep we can enter into his presence. You know, in fact, God actually requires us to bring various gifts and sacrifices. For example, we come to church, we bring our tithes and offerings. We, we give our time into the church. We give our materials. These are all things that, you know, God wants us to see us do because it's showing him that we trust in him, especially the tithe. I mean, that was an obstacle that took me a few years to overcome because money had a hold on me. But it's just showing God, I fully trust you with my life. It's not about money. But there's a much higher level of offering, and the Bible does speak of the various spiritual gifts that God requires from us. These are the spiritual gifts of thanksgiving, Praise and worship. I never looked at it that way before, but it's clear to me more than ever right now it's so important to God and to us as a church. This morning was a perfect example of it. You know, it's not just something we offer to God on a Sunday. It's actually something continually throughout the week. We should already be praising and thanking God before we step foot in this place so that when the band go off, we go straight into worship, just like this morning. It's not the band's responsibility to do praise and thanksgiving. It's up to the individual. Perfect example is King David. He was always praising God. You read about that guy, every time he had something thrown at him, it was praising God. I mean, he had some, he was outnumbered all the time. I mean, he even had King Saul running after him. But he had a deep-seated access to God, and it was through praise. Psalm 34, one, verse 1 to 2 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. What an attitude to have. I would seriously consider that. And I've been trying it out this week and it's, it gets you out of that negative mindset too. It just reminds you of God. You're telling yourself how great God is. It gives you confidence in your God. See, thanksgiving, praise and worship are very distinct, but they also naturally blend into one another. Think of it like the colours of a rainbow. Each colour is distinct, but they do blend in together. So here's how I would distinguish these three gifts. Thanksgiving relates to God's goodness. I am thankful for everything God has done in my life, no matter how small or big it is. We've got to continually remember what God's done for us and be thankful. Praise relates to God's greatness. It's us telling God how great he is, how awesome we think of him. Worship relates to God's holiness. Now, holiness is a class by itself. It's an attribute of God that is most difficult for us to actually comprehend because there's no parallel on earth. You have nothing to compare God's holiness to. We can talk about wisdom because we know wise people. We can talk about greatness because we know great people. We can talk about the power of God because we can see God's power demonstrated. But apart from God, there is no earthly examples of his holiness, none whatsoever. It's something unique to God and to those who receive him. No, it's not the Pope. He's not holy. He's not. Far from it. Neither are any priests, whether they're good or bad. That doesn't represent God's holiness, not even close. See, I believe worship relates directly to God's holiness. But because it's hard to understand his holiness, and if we don't have a revelation, it's really hard to truly enter into his worship. Therefore, worship is the most difficult of these three gifts and sacrifices to the believer to offer in the way that is acceptable to God. Thanksgiving and praise are primary utterances of the mouth. It's something we say and declare. Worship is primarily an attitude. It's an attitude. That's why it's important to understand these three gifts and make it a part of our offering to God all the time. So let's have a quick look at praise. See, praise runs like a golden thread throughout the entire Bible from beginning to end. You see, praise is eternal and its origin is in heaven. Praise, believe it or not, is also associated with the earth's creation. In Job 38, God challenged Job with this question. Job 38, verse 4 to 7. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. That's a picture of the earth being created through praise. It was praise that sent our planet spinning on its axis. And it's our responsibility as God's people to keep that on the right course through praise. That's how important praise is. Right now, the, the course is off, off the um, path, isn't it? So more praise is needed. 
We've got to up our game of praise. You see, praise is the appropriate way that we relate to God as king on his throne. Psalms 22.3 says, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. When combined with thanksgiving, praise gives us access to God. We see this in Psalm 104, where the psalmist said, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise, and be thankful to him and bless his name. But notice the way of access. All the gates of God are praise. All the gates. We enter through his gates through praise. The only way to God's presence and dwelling is through praise because it's praise that opens the gates into the outer courts. You know, I was, I was reading a book on this and I read, read this statement and it stuck with me. It, he said, you know, uninterrupted access to his presence requires uninterrupted praise. How often are we interrupted with our phone going off when we're praising, even if you are praising, the phone goes off, social media, little ding goes on there, you've got to read it, or you're distracted with the thoughts in your mind. How can we have access if we're interrupted all the time? That's the same in church. When you're praising, are you thinking? Or are you leaving your phone off for it to go off later and interrupt everyone else? It is distracting when a phone goes off, so please turn it off if you have forgotten to turn it off, please. It's just a, it's more of a respect thing as well. I'm not having a go at anyone. We all make that mistake. It's okay, it's okay to make a mistake. You know, uninterrupted access to his presence requires uninterrupted praise. I think that's just something we need to dwell on. See, there's a passage in Psalm 95 that depicts the progress into worship. It begins with a loud, jubilant praise. And you know, I could hear Richard Brown, loud, jubilant praise. That's an example of how we all should be. I'm not telling him off, I'm just saying. The Bible does say loud, jubilant praise. It's not praise you God, praise you God. No, it's praise you Father. Declare his name. He wants everyone to hear it. God wants everyone to know how great he is. Tell me I'm lying. Psalm 95, thank you. <laughs> Psalm 95.1 says, O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. This does not mean singing loud. Shouting is shouting. Sometimes we've got to shout joyfully. It's about letting God know how great he is. Psalm 145.3. Yeah, I have a lot of scriptures today, so you'll just have to get over that part. Great is the Lord and how greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. In fact, if you're not prepared to praise him greatly, don't do it at all. We know God is not about half-heartedness, eh? It's boots and all. We've heard Matt, Pastor Matt Brown talk about that too. You, we know this because he doesn't like lukewarmness. In fact, he spews it out of his mouth. You know? It's either... This or that, there's no in-between. So that's a brief description on praise. So we'll go over thanksgiving a little bit. Hebrews 12:28. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. 
Now, in the New King James Version, which was that one I read out, it says, let us have grace. But in the New International Version, it translates the same verse differently. It says, therefore, since we are receiving the kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Both translations are correct. But did you know, to have grace in Greek means the word charis, which is the same as saying thank you. So there appears to be a direct connection between grace and thankfulness. An unthankful person is a person who is outside the grace of God, which I briefly testified about. You cannot be unthankful and be found within the grace of God. You cannot separate thankfulness from the grace of God. Think about it. When we say grace before a meal, what are we doing? We're really saying, let us be thankful. Psalm 95.2 says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Here we have two stages of access to him, thanksgiving and praise. There's no other way into his presence. So if you're wondering why you never feel the presence of God, maybe you should follow those steps. The Bible is very logical. It does not just ask us and to think, not just ask us to thank or praise God, it tells us why. In Psalms 95 3, for the Lord is great. For the Lord is a great God and the great King above all gods. Remember, it's by praise that we acknowledge God's greatness. So in that scripture, the word great is used twice. The Lord is the great God and the King above all gods. We acknowledge his greatness by loud, jubilant, excited praise. There you go. Then we see him by doing this as his, our mighty creator. It's for our benefit too. Praise and thanksgiving are our gateway into worship. Now notice as soon as we come into worship, it's all about an attitude. Psalm 95.6 says, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. True worship. So here we have passed from utterance into attitude. We've begun with praise and thanksgiving, but that wasn't the end goal. It was the precursor to worship. We shouldn't have to do that in church. Just like this morning was a perfect example. We went straight into worship. And look what the result was. Now we can get deeper, a lot deeper than that, if all of us brought our supply. You've heard that scripture, you know, every joint brings its supply. And I never really knew, I thought, you know, oh, it's, you know, but really it's saying, bring, come to church with your praise and thanksgiving. And watch what happens, church, I'm serious. What's the harm on, on, on going home and trying that for a week and see what happens? Let's prove the theory. Well, it's not a theory, it's biblical, but let's prove it. Are you willing to do that? Well, you know, it's not going to, it can't rely on five or six or ten of us, you know, it's got to be all of us together. I would seriously consider it. Try it out. So, um, uh, so yeah, I've lost where I went now. Yeah, so sometimes we tend to stop with praise and thanksgiving and we end up missing the goal. Because you see, tree worship is, an is not an utterance, it's an attitude. It's how we act around his presence. 
That's why I'm saying if someone's phone goes off during the presence of God, it kills it, eh? If you have a bad attitude, you're not going to feel the presence of God. We've got to give his presence to due respect. You know, Colin Miller was talking about uh, where honour is due. Hey, God is due honour 24-7. So that's a, a rough look at Thanksgiving. So now let's look at worship. When we come into contact with or become aware of or have a revelation of his holiness, there's only one response. It's worship. The holiness of God cannot be explained, it cannot be defined, but it can only be revealed. See, I think people tend to think they have the idea holiness is a set of rules, do's and don'ts, what I must wear, what I must say. It's, it has nothing to do with holiness. See, Paul was very emphatic about this in Colossians. Colossians 2, verse 20 to 23. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as through the living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. This is so true. You see, the more you focus on the things you must not do, the more power you give it. For example, you say to yourself, I will not lose my temper, do not lose your temper, do not lose your temper. The next thing you do is you lose your temper. <laughs> How often does that happen? Yeah. So you can see why many people have decided they want nothing to do with holiness because they have the wrong image or wrong perception because they think it's about a whole lot of do's and don'ts and rules. It's far from the truth. So people give up on it. Hebrews 12.10 says, For they, indeed, for a few days chastened us and seemed best to them, talking about our natural fathers, how they correct us. But he, God, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Hebrews 12.10 speaks about the discipline that God, as a father, has for his children. He does this so we can be partakers of his holiness. Never thought of it that way. He corrects us so that we're going into the direction of his holiness. He wants us to be partakers of it. It's not about a bunch of rules or how you look or how you dress or how you talk. It's something unique to God. It's his holiness. So take correction when correction comes. Eh? Don't get offended. You just miss out. I've had correction from, you know, it's either a correction will come from a leader, a pastor, or God himself. Just take it. Please. Do me a favor. Try it out. Honestly, if you take it as correction, you, you don't feel any animosity towards that person. You actually genuinely want to correct yourself because all God is saying, I love you because you are my child. I want you back on the right path because I have plans for you. How many here want to be on the right path? There's your answer. God is not holy because he has a set of rules in front of him to check his own conduct. Rules have nothing to do with biblical or divine holiness. You see, holiness is the essence of God. Everything about God is holy. So in order to get a revelation or understanding of his holiness, we need to know who God is and what he is like. 
So I'd like to take a brief moment to go over the seven attributes of God. Richard Brown touched on that this morning. So I'm going to briefly go through it with a scripture to back it up. So number one, God is light. 1 John 1.5 This is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. He only creates light and he sends light forth, and, but he himself is light. Number two, God is love. 1 John 4.8-11 He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this love, God was manifested toward us, that God was sent, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this love, not, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the appropriation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also are to love one another. That's what I mean. We can't have hate in our heart. We've got to love one another, no matter the circumstances, no matter the wrong that's been done to you. Trust me, I have every reason to be angry and have revenge in my heart, but I'm not going to allow it. I'm not going to allow it. It's been a testing, it's a test. It's all a test for us, eh? Plus, and that's why I wanted Amy to read that scripture out. She didn't know any of this that I was going to preach, and she came this morning and said, God gave me a scripture. You know, the stuff that you were saying, this it's, all, it's, it's all linking up. God is saying something. So number three, God is justice and judgment. Yeah, this is definitely a part of his nature. And Moses emphasized this in Deuteronomy 32, verse 3 to 4. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth without injustice, righteous and upright is he. See, sometimes people accuse God of injustice because a particular situation or circumstance didn't pan out where we thought. You know, when something's been really, when you've really been wronged, you expect God to automatically sort it out. God is a God of justice. He will sort it out in his own time. We've just got to be loyal and faithful to him in that regard. We've just got to let go of it and let God take care of it. See, the Bible confirms that there is no injustice in God. He is totally just, a God of truth. Consider the words of Abraham in Genesis when he was pleading with the Lord about Sodom. Genesis 18.25, he says, For Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. So he was pleading with God because there was a righteous man that was related to Abraham. But he said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. He was pleading to God, recognizing that God is the judge of all the earth. We're not the ones to judge. That is who God is. He is the judge of all the earth, and he always does right. There is no injustice, no iniquity in him. And we are often tempted to believe that God is unjust, but the scripture declares emphatically this couldn't be further from the truth. We need to get that in concrete with us. Number four, and this is one people might not like, but it's, a, it's an attribute of God. God is anger and wrath. We, you need to have a full picture of God to understand his holiness, and this is a part of God. This is something that is not really talked about 
or made room for, but people don't really hear about it. But it's very important. Our God is a God of anger and wrath. Now forgive me if I haven't pronounced this right, but it's uh, Nahum chapter 1 verse 2. gives a remarkable picture of this. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is angry. He is furious and he avenges himself. This is a part of God's divine eternal nature. If we leave this part out, we're not presenting a true picture of God. You know? It's not all about grace. The book of Revelation gives us a glimpse of God's judgment that will befall on the Antichrist. Revelations 14, verse 9 to 11. Then a third angel followed him, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his, on his hand, he himself also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into a cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with the fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they will have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Tormented in the presence of the Lamb. Not exactly the contemporary picture of a gentle Jesus, meek and mild, is it? You've got to remember, Jesus cracked the whip and kicked out the religious. Remember? He got angry. He couldn't stand seeing God's house being treated that way. But this is a part of his divine, eternal character. God is a judge. Some believe that God is too far merciful to impose eternal punishment on anybody, but that is not scriptural, and furthermore, it's very dangerous. Now, there are people who believe there's no hell, and that's a complete lie. You only need to read the Bible to find that out. Not only does Jesus talk about it, it's mentioned right here. People don't want to know that when they die, that they've got a choice to make, eh? There is a hell and there is a heaven. There's no in-between. As harsh as it is, that's the reality of it. Revelations 22, 18-19 For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. If anything is clearly written in this book of Revelation is that there is internal judgment. You can't argue with that. All right, we're going to something a bit nicer. Number five, God is mercy and loving kindness. The word uh, loving kindness means steadfast love. What I think that means is covenant-keeping faithfulness of God. Covenant-keeping faithfulness of God. It is God's faithfulness to his covenant, one of his greatest attributes. God will always follow through with his promises and his word. He never lies. He never goes back. In Psalm 51, David was praying during a time of deep distress when his soul was hanging in the balance. His prayer was of repentance after his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah had been uncovered. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, according to your loving kindness. It is a reference to God's covenant-keeping faithfulness. 
David was basically saying, you've committed yourself to forgive if I meet your conditions. I am appealing to you on that basis. How important is it to be able to approach God on that basis? Number six, God is grace. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that's exactly what I asked for this week. We all need that right now. There are two things in this passage which you cannot earn, and it's mercy and grace. We, we first need mercy, but then we need grace. See, grace cannot be earned, but religious people think they need to earn everything, so they, they, just, they totally miss out on it. They can't receive grace. As far as I'm concerned, religious people have no part to play in the church at all. Even Jesus couldn't deliver them of that. It's a spirit that cannot be delivered. It's a self-imposed religion. You just have to see how Jesus talked to them. He was direct and harsh with them because he was trying to wake them up. And that's the only way. See, we need mercy for our past and we need grace for our future. It's only by God's grace that we can become the kind of people and live the kind of lives that he requires of us. It's true. Last one. Number seven, God is power. God is power. Now, there are lots of testimonies of God's power in the Bible. There's lots of examples, the parting of the Red Sea, the thing, all the stuff God did and all the healings. But I'm just going to use one scripture in Psalms. Psalms 93, verse 1 to 4. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. He has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord is on high, is mightier than the noise of many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. God is almighty, powerful. There's nothing comes close to it. So I'm going to end on this scripture. Revelations 4 verse 8. The four living creatures, each, ha each having six wings, were full of eyes around within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I believe there's a significant threefold repetition there. Holy is the Father, holy is the Son, holy is the Spirit, and no one else is holy. Because God is unique in his holiness. Worship is our response to holiness of God. For when we know the holiness of God in any measure whatsoever, our appropriate response is worship. We thank God because we are grateful for what he has done in our lives. We praise him because we are acknowledging his greatness. And now we've entered into his courts. But what are we there for? We are there to worship him. That's our response to his holiness. You know, last year, one of the main themes and words that we got given as a leadership team was holiness. Was God saying, come and enter to the gates, into my courts, and worship my holiness? Is that what God was really saying? This is where he wants, this is where his heart is. He wants us directly in the heart of God. You know, King David got this because it says, God says that King David was a man after his own heart. 
The guy was praising and worshipping God all the time. So if we want to be people after God's heart, this is where we need to be. And I believe this is crucial, especially in the times we're in.